everybody this evening. Um, let's go ahead and uh, get started. We'll pray. Um, and obviously, let's pray for our brothers and sisters down uh, on the panhandle of Florida, uh, Alabama. St. George has been affected as well um, as we uh, begin tonight. I know some of you have uh, friends and family down that way been texting me. So anyway, let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this time together this evening. And um, Lord, we just lift our hearts and and thoughts up to you, Lord, on behalf of those uh, that are, you know, being affected by uh, this hurricane. I thank you, Father, for protecting them. I thank you, Father, for uh, people who are already in place uh, in the surrounding areas to help them. And um, we just uh, believe you, Father, for, uh, for good things and for speedy recovery for those who are being impacted, Father. Thank you for this time together this evening. I know, Father, that um, it's been a busy day. Uh, for a lot of us, Father, some, uh, some of us, our, our day started very early this morning. And so, Lord, I thank you for just uh, energy and focus and strength tonight. Help us bring our hearts to attention. Uh, receive with humility uh, your word. And, Lord, may your word become so much a part of us, Lord, that it, it becomes a part of who we are, the way we think, the way we speak, uh, Lord, the way we act. And um, we thank you, Father, for good things tonight. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. And amen. Praise God. All right, if you, um, if you have your Bibles tonight, uh, let's, let's begin in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, we, we spent most of our time uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 last week, and uh, we'll, I don't know, we may yet uh, another week, uh, you know, next week, we may begin uh, here again as well. But as I've mentioned to you, these, these verses provide the biblical foundation for for what we, what we mean when we say a discipleship uh, counselor, okay? And a discipleship counselor is a disciple maker, and it's what's being referenced here with this ministry of reconciliation, all right? But I want us to start again at, uh, at verse number 14. By the way, uh, class number nine, um, and so to kind of put this in perspective, uh, nine classes is one-fourth of the 36, so we're almost a fourth of the way there. Um, and uh, in the same way that some of these classes that you know, seem like a two-hour class goes by so quickly, um, it's amazing how quickly all 36 of them go by. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for uh, uh, being here. I know there's other opportunities and other things that sometimes you get invited to to be a part of, and listen, we understand all that, but uh, I just want you to know uh, how much it means to me personally uh, for you to uh, hang in here and push through the dry places and, uh, and uh, endure uh, as the Holy Spirit is teaching us good things. Amen? All right. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And He died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So, again, he's talking about you, he's talking about me here. Um, you've been reconciled to God through the new birth in Christ Jesus, and you've been given the ministry of reconciliation. I know I'm being repetitive here, and I'm, I'm being repetitive on purpose. Anything that God does in you, He ultimately desires to do through you. 
So when you're born again, He then wants to use you uh, as an instrument in ministering the Word of pe- to other people so that they can be born again. Um, as you submit yourself to discipleship and God brings people alongside uh, to help you in your journey of discipleship, He then wants to use you, bring you alongside other people to help them in their journey. So you've been reconciled to God. You've been reconciled to God. You've been reestablished, and uh, not just in a close relationship with Him. You've been you've been established in oneness um, with God. Amen. And we'll explain some of that as the weeks unfold. So the key thing here, though, that I'm trying to emphasize tonight is that because you've been reconciled to God, you've now been given the ministry of reconciliation. He wants to use you in seeing others reconciled to Himself. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. I know this is, you know, anytime we start talking about the world, we're talking about a pretty big subject. We're talking about a lot of people and um, a lot of moving parts, and sometimes that's a little bit hard for us to comprehend. Remember, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And then remember when Jesus commissioned uh, us, He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so the reason every living being on planet earth um, needs the gospel preached to them is because Jesus has already done everything necessary for every creature on planet earth to be reconciled to God. It's just a matter of them hearing, calling upon the name of the Lord, and receiving this gift of salvation that will enable them to be reconciled to God. Okay, So that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. If you underline things in your Bible, underline that phrase, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. We'll come back, all right? Now then, verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, on, uh, pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Now, I'm not going to go back and, and, and re-teach last week's uh, uh, lesson, okay? But I do want to remind you yet again that there are many important subjects, there are many key doctrines, doctrines or systems of teaching, amen, that all intersect in these verses. And it's not because, you know, the, the Apostle Paul uh, kept losing focus and, and his attention kept drifting to other things and he wound up talking about a whole bunch of things uh, by accident. No, this is uh, on purpose. He's wanting us to not just understand these things, but he's wanting us to understand how they're all connected, how they're all related, and the position that these things now lead us to and have placed us in. So that's why we see the use of these words like therefore, uh, therefore, from now on, now, now then. And all of that, you know, spelling it out from from start all the way through uh, to help us understand a point that we made a few weeks back. And that is that we've been born again for a purpose. Amen. That the new birth is not an end, but it is a doorway into a new beginning. So our salvation is what qualifies us and what has put us now in this unique position, touching heaven and earth at the same, at the same time, 
to, to now be effective ministers on our Father's behalf. Every born-again believer is in the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. Okay, That's not just the pastor's job. The pastor has a unique job, a unique assignment. And among the unique assignments that belong to the pastor and the apostle and the prophet and the evangelist and the teacher, right, is to, among those, is to uh, equip the individual saint, the individual born-again believer, to do the work of the ministry, right? And so you've committed yourself to these classes, but not just to these classes, to other things that go even beyond these classes, but these classes being a part of the commitment that you've made, because we said if discipleship is anything, it is an uncommon commitment, right? You've committed yourself to these classes so that you can be better equipped in a ministry that you've already been given. It's not like if you complete so many weeks of discipleship that God will give you your ministry of reconciliation card, okay? You are now a minister of reconciliation. Discipleship is about becoming equipped to be effective as a minister of reconciliation. Does that make sense to you? Okay, now, notice that in addition to being given the ministry of reconciliation in verse 18, in verse 19 it says, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So you've been given the ministry of reconciliation, and now we see that you have had committed to you by God, God has committed to you the word of reconciliation. So that when you speak, it's as if God Himself is speaking through you. That's pretty powerful, right? So that when you minister to someone, it's as if God Himself is ministering to them. Listen, Jesus told us, Jesus told us in John 13, as we've already mentioned, there are things that are introduced to us by Jesus in the Gospels that are further explained and expounded upon in the epistles. And so here's a classic example. In John 13, Jesus says, all right, I'm going to give you a new commandment. A new commandment means not a repeating of an existing one, but a new in the sense of one that's never existed before. You see, loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, we can find those in the, in the Old Testament. So when Jesus answered that question, remember a, a, a really educated man says, um, which commandment do you consider to be the most important? Jesus said two. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. So he was actually quoting from their record. But in John 13, Jesus says, now I'm going to give you a new commandment. And the new commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. All right, now that's, that's a whole next level. That's a whole different level, okay? So that we now are to love other people as Jesus has loved us. Now you hear that and you think, well, that's impossible. I mean, how, how could we ever live up to that? Well, again, he introduced something in John 13 that is explained and, and expounded upon in Romans 5. In Romans 5, it says as born-again believers, the Holy Spirit of God now lives inside of us, pouring out the love of God in our hearts. So he's giving us the wherewithal by the Holy Spirit to love people as he would love them. Listen now, I'm, I'm trying to get you to see these two things combined together. When you speak, because you've had committed to you the word of reconciliation, when you speak, it's, it's as if God is speaking through you. If you allow him to love people through you, 
That means when you love them, it's no different than if he himself had, had loved that individual. This is, you know, this is the position now that Father God has put us in, right? Where we can love like He loved because He's given us His love to, to love people with. Amen? Did I do okay explaining that? Because some of you look a little bit confused. I'm not trying to confuse you in this. Okay, now, what I want us to focus in on tonight, and, from, and, and we, we usually try to put a title on these classes um, other, you know, for years we just put a number and, and it was Pastor Rick's genius he says you know how about a title because you, know, you look down that whole list of 36 classes and the titles kind of you know, give you some idea of what that particular class was focused upon and so tonight the class is going to simply focus on the word of reconciliation right? the word of reconciliation now last week we did some preaching and some teaching okay and, um, and I always do a little preaching with the teaching and a little teaching with the preaching, okay? Um, but sometimes it's weighted in more, you know, towards, you know, one side more than the other. And tonight it's, it's going to be weighted, at least from what I'm feeling in my heart and spirit, it's going to be weighted more towards the teaching. And so um, with that, amen, I'm just, uh, you know, asking you again, we said it in prayer a moment ago, uh, let's, let's really bring our hearts to attention and um, let's take the time to, to really get an understanding of what this word of reconciliation is. Now, let me go back to it just in, in way of review. And we've got some help coming for this, especially those who are, are watching us live or, or recorded video. Um, but if you can't read these, this says Ministry of Reconciliation. And this little diagram is to illustrate the two branches or the two divisions of this one ministry. And the first one just simply says New Birth. And, um, and then this one is discipleship. In both cases, a minister of reconciliation uses the word of reconciliation to be effective in, in the new birth branch and the discipleship branch. And so I'm not sure we really explained that last week, but I want to make sure, even if we did, that we, that we get this established. So um, how is it that Kim McCain could lead someone to a salvation experience? Well, he would simply tell them about Jesus. He would... He would use the Word of God to tell them of, of Jesus' virgin birth, His sinless life, His uh, substitutionary work on the cross. I'm, I'm using big words. He probably wouldn't necessarily, you, you know, substitutionary work. Somebody like, what does that mean, right? He'd basically say, hey, look, Jesus came. He took your play. He, so in other words, we would use what we know from the Word of God about Jesus. The Bible says that message contains within it the power of God unto salvation. Okay? So... In other words, in order for someone to be born again, they've got to hear the gospel message. And in order for them to hear the gospel message, somebody's got to tell them. In order for somebody to tell them, that person's got to be sent to them, right? That's what he lays out for us in Romans, the 10th chapter. But again, if you're ever going to lead someone to Jesus, okay, you're going to have to share with them the word of reconciliation. In other words, you're going to tell them what the Bible says about these things, right? And then the same is true with the other branch, the other arm of the ministry of reconciliation, which is discipleship. Remember he said that, that he, he would that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Be saved, come to the knowledge of the truth. So the idea behind coming to the knowledge of the truth is back to that accounting uh, application of the word reconcile when we use the example of a checkbook. So you've got your registry, and your registry is the amount of money you think you have, but then you get that 
word of reconciliation from the bank, okay? That statement of truth, all right? And, and so that's when you take your records and you line them up with the bank's records. You reconcile your checkbook, all right? So discipleship then is about removing the enmity, the lack of harmony, that is a, there's a residual carryover effect within man. The new birth removes that enmity, that division that separated us from God. It takes that completely out of the way and makes us one with God, right? But there is a carryover effect of enmity. And that is the imprint that's been left on our soul or in our minds, in our thinking. How we see ourselves, how we think of ourselves, what we think about relationships, what we think about managing money, all, all these different things, right? So the idea then behind true and effective discipleship is bringing our thoughts into alignment with God's thoughts. It's, it's bringing what we believe about ourselves into agreement with, into harmony with, into alignment with what God says is true about you. Are you, are you following this? So that's, that's this whole process of discipleship. Jesus was constantly, in, when He was discipling those 12 men and others who also joined in uh, with Him. Remember, Manthano, Didasco, teaching for the purpose of making one similar. Jesus was, was, was constantly trying to bring their thoughts and thinking and perspective and opinions into alignment with, into agreement with His. But remember, Jesus said His thoughts, thinking, opinions were not His own. His were in alignment with His Father's. Okay, So Jesus said, I don't say anything unless my Father tells me to say it. I don't do anything unless my Father tells me to do it. In other words, He's modeling for us reconciliation. He lived as one with His Father, not doing His own thing, carrying out His own agenda, but doing His Father's thing, carrying out His Father's agenda. So when He's saying, look, you guys need to think like I think, you need to see this the way I see this, it's because He wasn't seeing it the way He saw it. So I mean, obviously He was, but but He was making sure that we understood that as a man on planet earth, he was living in alignment with, in agreement with his father's thoughts, his father's words, his, his father's actions. Amen? Thoughts, words, actions, thoughts, words, actions, thoughts, words, actions. Okay? Fundamentals there <clears throat> that we need to recognize and understand. So discipleship is about bringing our thoughts, words, and actions into alignment with, into agreement with um, our statement of truth. Okay? Um, our word of reconciliation. So the word of reconciliation, I mean, he, he could have simply said he's given you the Bible or he's given you his word. But he wanted you to understand that the ministry of reconciliation and the word of reconciliation go hand in glove, okay? Go hand in hand. Um, in other words, they, 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 they work uh, together seamlessly with one another. Am I going too fast for you? Okay. So... When, when we talk about the word of reconciliation, um, it's just a really fancy way, a beautiful way, um, of, of saying the word of God, right? Uh, in 2 Peter, don't turn there yet, but just hear me out. In 2 Peter, he refers to the word of God as the exceeding great and precious promises, okay? <laughs> the exceeding great and precious promises. Well, thank God for the exceeding great and precious promises, okay? But the exceeding great and precious promises are... Just a, a very poetic and beautiful way of saying, again, the Word of God. All right, now, turn with me. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. 
Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Praise God. Now, this is a great chapter on the subject of faith. It, um, it begins with the last verse in chapter 3, referring to God's people who came out of slavery, but never entered into their best life. The Bible says He brought them out so that He could bring them in, but they cooperated with Him uh, enough for Him to be able to bring them out of Egypt, but they refused to cooperate enough with Him any more with him that was required in order for him to bring them into their best life. And he says that they, entered, they, they didn't enter in because of unbelief. And he says we can't follow that same example and that we must labor to enter into the rest that's been made available to us. Rest is referring to you benefiting from someone else's labor. And so he uses three examples in this text. I'm just trying to summarize because verse 12 is, is, a, is a jewel in this setting. Okay, but I'm trying to give you at least some of the setting that's around it. So he gave us three examples of rest. God's rest at creation. Um, and again, you know, God created the world, then put Adam in it on day six of creation. Um, and, and then said, let's rest on the seventh day. So God created this earth we enjoy the fruits of his labors, okay? Then he talked about what we've already mentioned, all that God did to get them out of Egypt so that they could then benefit from his labors and enter into rest, but the first generation did not because of unbelief. Then it comes to you and me. And our rest is not just created, the rest from creation or the rest from deliverance from Egypt. But our rest is the benefits or the fruits of Jesus' labor. In other words, what He has done for us and made available to us. But again, we're going to enter into that by rest, and we're going to enter into that rest by faith, or we're, we're not going to enter into it. Jesus said, come to me and I'll give you rest, right? Then learn of me and you will find rest. So you're given rest when you're born again, but a lot of people never find that place of rest because they never let Jesus teach them what they need to know to enter into it. Amen, Romeo. Are you hearing me? Okay. Now, say that again. The three. Okay, so creation, uh, deliverance from Egypt, and then Jesus has completed work on the cross. All right? So obviously creation in, in some ways, you know, obviously Adam, but it applies to all of us. But remember, Adam's sin messed up this creation in a lot of ways for us. So there's things we, we have to deal with now that... that, that, that uh, Adam did not. He brought a curse, right? And then um, brought him out of Egypt. Jesus, God did the heavy lifting, but they didn't enter the rest. And then Jesus, of course, what he has provided for us. Now, so he says in verse 11, let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And um, the King James Version says let us labor to enter the rest. Um, and our, our work is to believe on Him whom God has sent. In other words, there is effort required to faith. Am I right about this? Uh, the Bible says you've got to fight the good fight of faith. I was listening to Keith Moore um, uh, teaching this week. And um, if you've said this or if you've got a notebook that has this on the cover, something like that, I'm not picking on you. Um, but it's really a false statement, and, and a lot of people say we just need to let go and let God. Well, how many of you know the Bible says we need to lay hold by faith? 
And there's a difference between letting go and laying hold. Right? See, let go and let God, a lot of times when people throw that cliche around, that's not Bible, it's cliche, right? When they're throwing that around, what they're really saying is, you know, God don't ask me to do anything, you just take care of this, right? And, and that's not faith. You know, there, there's, there's effort required on our part. And so we have to lay hold uh, uh, and labor to enter the rest, fight the good fight of faith, um, and, and resist the devil, all of these things, uh, action, parts, and steps, uh, you know, that fall to our choices. Okay, now, that brings us then to verse number 12. If you're going to memorize a verse this week and haven't chosen one already, I would really highly recommend that you memorize this passage right here, Hebrews 4 and 12. It says this from the New King James Version, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I'm going to read it to you again. For the Word of God is living and powerful. The book in front of you, known as the Bible, okay, which is really a collection of 66 books, it is the inspired Word of God. And, and that book, capital B, amen, that book is alive. Its words are alive. And not only are its words alive, um, they are powerful. There's power in them, their words, okay? There's power in them, their words, okay? Those words are living, and those words are powerful. Amen. We'll look at it later, but let me just go ahead and throw this one out. The Bible says, He sent His Word and healed them, okay? Amen, right? Okay, so the Bible says um, that the Word of God is life to those who find it and health to all your flesh, okay? So, again, living and powerful, also, it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, let me, let me stop here for a moment because this keeps jumping up in my spirit and I, I want to make sure um, if, it's okay if we say it again later, but I, I would rather say it sooner uh, and later than sooner and not later, okay? When we talk about this ministry of reconciliation, and my confidence tonight in this is found within the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of all of us, okay? But my confidence is that when you hear that, something leaps inside of you. That when you hear that, it's like when Jesus found Himself in the Scriptures, that now all of a sudden it's like, okay... I don't even know if I can spell reconciliation, but this is me, right? In other words, there's something inside of you that's like, okay, sign me up, you know, and, and tell me what I signed up for later, but sign me up. In other words, that, that's the Holy Spirit inside of you because you were, you were not just born for this. You were, you were not just created for this or born for this, but you were recreated and born again for this, all right? Now, here is what we've got to understand. Remember last week we said that, you know, don't even try to do this without love. If you're in it for money, you're in it for the wrong reasons, but, but it doesn't even matter if that's the only reason you're in it because there ain't enough money in the world um, to pay you to put up with some of the things you're going to be putting up with as a minister of reconciliation. <laughs> All right? Amen. I'm just telling you. Praise God. That's not a whine or a gripe or a complaint. I'm just telling you. Just hear me out, please. Okay? Um, so it's love that constrains us. It's love that compels us. 
And um, that's why we need to become really, really uh, familiar with, with, with the love of God, right? Um, but just as we are not to uh, regard people according to the flesh, we're also never meant to try to do this job, this assignment, this ministry uh, through the strength or the arm of the flesh. In other words, you can have the best motives, the best intentions, um, and, and, and the best of desires to try to help someone, but you and your strength and your ability alone um, is not enough, all right? Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. I'm not trying to be a smart aleck, okay? You know, somebody says, well, you, you know, you, you're just changing people's lives. And I said, well, I, I understand, I think, what you mean by that, but the reality of it is this. I can't even change my own life, much less somebody else's, okay? And it was without the Lord, without the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, okay, I'm powerless to even change myself, much less help somebody else change themselves. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. Um, and so as Jesus said of Himself, He said that He could do nothing, no thing without His Father. Uh, but He did a lot of things because He did that through the strength that His Father provided, the power that the Father provided to Him through the Holy Spirit. So in the same way, He says that we can do nothing without Him. Okay. I can do nothing without Him, but good news, I'm not without Him. Amen, I'm not without Him. I, he's with me tonight. He's in me tonight. He's with you tonight. He's in you tonight. And so because He's in us and with us, we can do all things through Christ which strengthens us. But without Christ, we can do no thing to help ourselves or anybody else. Right? Now, I'm not telling you that to make you feel like you're, you're less than. I'm not telling you that to try to put you down. I'm trying to help you understand that if you're thinking you've got to somehow be an effective ministry of reconciliation based upon your own abilities, your own in intelligence, your own uh, ingenuity, then uh, it, it, it could be an overwhelming, daunting, for that matter, impossible task. Listen to me, though. We've been given, we've been given the word of reconciliation to utilize in becoming effective ministers of reconciliation. All right? Now, what we cannot do apart from God or the Word of God, we can more than do with Him and with His Word. Okay? So, it's, it's the, uh, I say secret weapon, that's really a, a, an incorrect way of saying it. But again, the Word of Reconciliation is the secret weapon, you know, that, that has been committed to us to enable us to be effective, to be effective in what God has called us to do. Okay? Now, we're going to get over in a, in a moment into 2 Timothy. Stay in Hebrews 4. Stay in Hebrews 4. And we'll build on that for uh, maybe a little bit when we get to 2 Timothy. But let's, let's get back here in Hebrews 4 for, for a moment. All right? So the Word of God, which is the Word of Reconciliation, it's living... And it's powerful. It's living and it's powerful. I like to say it this way. It's the only book you'll ever read that will read you back. Okay? And so To Kill a Mockingbird is a good book. This is not just the good book. And I don't, I don't I, you know, if you call it the good book, I'm not picking on you. But the Bible says that we, we need to value and esteem and honor the Word of God. So it's not just the good book. Um, and, and, and he's not just the man upstairs. Okay? All right? You, you hear me? Amen. He's, he's Jehovah uh, uh, Sid Canoe. He, he, he's the Lord Almighty. Amen? Okay. So, when we, when we talk about 
the Word of God, we have to renew our minds to um, His Word is alive and it's powerful. We have to recognize that His words are in a category uh, above and beyond all of the words. And that His words contain within them the power of God to salvation, the power of God to deliverance, the power of God unto healing, the power of God unto restoration, the power of God unto prosperity. In other words, His words are ripe with His power and the Word of God is both alive and it is powerful. Alright? Now, he also gives us some other important characteristics here where the Word of God is concerned, and I want to unpack those for us here for just a moment. In addition to His Word being alive and powerful, we see that it is sharper than any two-edged sword. Okay? Now, the under, you know, most of what we understand about a knife is that a knife has one side that is sharpened and the other side that is, that is you know, not. Um, and so obviously, you know, that's a safety measure, and most of the time when you're cutting, you just need to cut one direction. But in the case of a two-edged sword, th this is a sword that is sharpened on both edges, which means it cuts both ways, right? It cuts both ways. So when he says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, we obviously not to set aside the idea of it being sharpened to both edges, but what he's also trying to emphasize here is the sharpness of it based upon what it's able to cut. So in our day and age, we have like laser knives, gamma knives. I mean, we, you know, we, we've taken knives to a whole other level on, on, on what you know, surgically uh, these knives can do. So, when he says the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, he, he's fixing to explain to you what that really means, sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow. Alright? Now, if you'll consider for a moment what he just said when he introduced soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. Remember, we haven't got to this part yet, but we've mentioned it a few times already. You are a spirit within a soul, within a body. Okay? The real you is the spirit inside of the body and that I see, and, and yet the Bible says that you're not just an outward part and an inward part, but that the inward part of you is actually two parts of you, spirit, soul, and that's contained within a body. I'm not going to take the time to draw it. We draw it with stickmen. We'll get stickmen theology in the days to come, okay? What I want you to see and pay attention to now is that the Word of God is the only scalpel sharp enough to dissect the part of you that is spirit 
and separate it from the part of you that's sold. See, there's a lot of people, I mean, highly educated people, who teach that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. They are not. Matter of fact, they don't even share the same Greek terminology. In, in the Greek, the spirit is the pneuma, P-N-E-U-M-A, and the soul is the suche, P-S-U-C-H-E. We get our words pneumatic, English words pneumatic, like air tools, from pneuma, spirit, and we get our words psychiatry, psychology, psyche, from the P-S-U-C-H-E, uh, you know, suche, which is uh, referring to the soul. The soul of man, the soul of a woman, the soul that you and I possess tonight is the part of you that thinks, feels, and chooses. Your mind, emotions, and will. That's your soul. It's not the same as your spirit. Okay? It's not the same as your spirit. See, in reality, um, the spirit and the soul and the body are all so intertwined that what, what, that what happens on one level affects you on other levels. Okay? And, and that's why it's, it's hard for people to comprehend that the spirit and the soul are actually two separate things because the spirit and soul are both immaterial, not matter, but like physical matter. They're still very real, but not... Oh, sweet Jesus. I'm not trying to confuse you. Just stay with me, okay? Just hang on for the ride for a minute, all right? Um, but because they are so interconnected and intertwined, people just believe they're the same thing. The only way you can separate the part of you that's spirit from the part of you that is soul is if you let the Word of God do it. If you let the Word of God identify the differences. So for instance, when the Bible says that we are not of those who draw back to perdition and miss out, but we are those who believe to the saving of the soul. See, he's talking about this progressive work of discipleship there. See, you, we, I mean, it's sad to me that so few people have ever even heard a sermon on the subject of soul salvation. Because we think, you know, when the Bible says in the Old Testament, he that winneth souls is wise. See, we love to go to that and say, man, people who preach the gospel to get other folks born again are wise. You couldn't even preach the gospel for people to get born again in the Old Testament. I'm not saying you're a fool if you get people born again. That's not what I'm saying. But the context of that verse is winning people's minds, winning people's thoughts, appealing to people emotionally. Someone who can win over a person at the level of their thinking is a wise man or woman. There you go, brother, we weren't born again yet, right? Now again, I don't mind if you want to take that verse out of the Old Testament and say it's wise to win souls, and by winning souls you mean getting people born again. But when somebody's born again, that's their spirit that's born again. Somebody hears the gospel, calls on the name of the Lord to be saved. The work that's complete and has made every bit whole and new is the spirit that's the deepest part of you, the real you, deepest part of you inside of you. Okay? The soul is, is, is something completely different. And, but yet the Bible is sharp enough uh, to separate the part of you that's spirit from the part of you that's soul. And you say, well, why is that necessary, Pastor Mark? So that we can understand what is spirit in nature, what is soul in nature, what is flesh in nature. 
Because God has answers for us that are spirit in nature, that are mind, will, and emotional, mental, emotional in, in nature, and are physical in nature. When Jesus bled to death naked on a cross, He didn't just die for your spirit. He was punished for your uh, uh, beaten so that your physical body could be healed. He received a crown of thorns on His head so that your mind could be renewed, so that we could have the mind of Christ, so that we could be redeemed and restored from, from the torment of, of emotional uh, uh, instability, from uh, mental instability, uh, mental unsoundness. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Amen. But see, even then, I'm not trying to confuse you, even that passage, as popular as it is and as important as it is, the spirit in that one is lowercase. And it literally means an attitude of fear. An attitude, a mindset of fear. Are you hearing me? Okay, praise God. Yes, Austin. Uh, feels. So it's the part of you that thinks, the part of you that feels, emotions, and the part of you that makes choices. So the Spirit's the real you. It's the part of you that was born again. It's the part of, of every human being that will live forever or die forever somewhere. Spirits are eternal. God is a spirit. We were created His image and likeness. And um, so it's, it's the real you, the deepest part of you, so when we were born again, it was our spirit that became a new creation. And so remember my favorite definition of discipleship, finding out who you became the day you became a new creation, a new creature in Christ Jesus. We became something through the new birth that we were not before, but most people still think of themselves, think of themselves soul, right? Think of themselves as the person they were instead of the new person they became. So because they think like that person, they still live like that person, even though they're not that person. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's why he says, even if your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. Amen. Amen. Because there's something that has been changed through the new birth so deep inside of us that it transcends feelings. It transcends emotion. It, in other words, there's been a lot of days, um, you know, since I was born again a bunch of decades ago uh, that I didn't feel saved, but it didn't mean I wasn't. Because emotions change like the wind sometimes, right? Does that make sense? Yes, sir. Okay, yes and no. Okay, so yes, so think of this new birth as, uh, as, the, as the Spirit being born again, receiving the gift of salvation. And then we talk about discipleship. Think of that as the soul being saved. Remember, this is a past completed work. This is a done deal. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified, right? Amen. How can, Hebrews 10, 14. How can, we be a perfect, how can we be a perfect work in progress? Your spirit is a perfected work, right? Um, it's the soul that's being renewed. It's the mind that's being renewed. Mind, will, and emotions, right? Mind, emotions, and will. I, I, I said mind, will, and emotions for so many years, but it's really, if we're going to be precise about it, thoughts determine emotions, emotions influence choices. Um, so the key player in the soul is the mind, is the thinking. Okay, key player in the soul, in the mind, is the, is the thoughts. Um, thoughts, again, determine emotions. Emotions influence our choices. Okay, so good comments, good input there. It makes all of us...
It's a great way of saying it, Heather, because we were all born of the same seed. No, no, soul, soul goes right on to heaven. The Bible says, I'll know you in heaven just like I knew you right here. I'll recognize you because I knew you here, right? So, the, and then we see even like people who, who near death experience or are dead and were brought back to life, they came back with recollection, memories, you know, of, of that experience. So the, so the soul, again, we, we're going to spend six, maybe almost eight hours on this. I'm just, it's hard once we slip off into this to stop because it's, to me, it's, it's so critically important, um, you know, for us to recognize and understand um, these things because, you know, there were times that, you know, if you look at Jesus, Jesus ministered to people who presented with physical symptoms of physical illness, but he cast a devil out of them. And then there were other situations where people were like, man, that, that dude right there has got to be demon-possessed. No, he wasn't demon-possessed. He had a problem with his brain that was creating epilepsy, right, which he would, you know, shake and tremor and carry on as if it was some kind of demonic possession. It was not demonic possession. It was a physical condition, but yet it, it was giving the appearance of demonization. Other cases that gave the appearance of physical illness were actually demonization was at the root of it, right? Jesus, though, was able to recognize what was spirit, what was soul, what was flesh, and minister to that person on all three levels, on all three levels, okay? Yes? Okay, now, so if we go back to it, though, the Word of God, which is living and powerful, it's sharp enough to not just divide the part of you that's soul from the part of you that's spirit, but pierce into joints, and marrow, well now we just got to the physical body, right? Joints and marrow, that's the body. So notice in this, in this passage that's talking about the Word of God living and powerful, we see that it addresses us at a spirit level, at a soul level, as well as a flesh or physical level. Now, if you understand what the Bible teaches us, and of course biology has proven it to be true, the Bible teaches that life is in the blood. Physical life is in the blood. Okay, If you cut blood flow off to a part of your body, that part of your body will die. Right? But we also know that, that blood is created, blood cells are created within the marrow of the bones. So when he said that it can go to the to the literal marrow in the bone, he wasn't just talking about the deepest part of the physical body, but the very place in the physical body from which life springs forth. Marrow in the bone. Are you, are you following me? Now, look at this last part right here. The Word of God, living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, is also a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is a, is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Let me, let me try to help you with this here. He's, he's saying that the Word of God is able to determine for you not just what you're thinking, but why you're thinking and why you're doing what you're doing. Okay? 
When we talk about thoughts and intents of the heart, we're, we're talking about motives now. We're talking about motive. The intent is not just what you did, right? Have you, ever, have you ever done something that turned out negative, but your intent was for it to be positive? In other words, your heart was you were trying to do something good, but you maybe got out of line and you overstepped your authority or whatever, and it kind of turned out bad. But your heart was, your intentions were, your motives were to try to help, to try to do something of, of benefit. Or, or You follow what I'm saying? So the, the, the intent of the heart. So what he's saying here is that God doesn't just know what you're doing but His Word understands why you do what you do. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I don't understand why I keep doing something I hate. And I don't understand why I have such a hard time following through on the things that I know I should do and, and are right for me and just for me. And yet I struggle to follow through on those things. But yet I keep doing the thing again and again that I know I shouldn't do and struggle to follow through on the thing I should do. He goes, I don't understand this. It's a mystery. Right? Good news, brother, sister. The Word of God understands. It's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It can read your mind, but it can also reveal to you... Not See, see we, we look at... The, we think of the Bible as just telling you, you know, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Well, certainly the Bible can correct behavior if it's wrong, and we don't understand it's wrong, and the Bible tells us it's wrong. But the Bible, man, that's... That is so shallow as to the depth of what the Word of God is able to do inside of you. It's not just a book of rules. It's a living and powerful, uh, you know, living and powerful words that can penetrate to the spirit, to the soul, and to the marrow and the bones and discern, judge, show you the thoughts and intents of your very heart. Man. So are you seeing now why this is the secret weapon? It's no secret, but it's the secret weapon that we've been given by God to be effective in the ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Are you good? All right, let's go to 2 Timothy. Turn to 2 Timothy with me, please. Um, 2 Timothy. Uh, and this time let's go to chapter 3. We'll go to chapter 3 first, then we'll probably turn back here in just a moment to chapter 2, but let's go to chapter 3 first. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's begin at verse number 16. 2 Timothy 3 and 16. It says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Alright? Let's read it one more time. All Scripture... Not a few, not some, not most. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Let's just stop right there for a moment. Let's stop there for a moment. When, it's, when he says it's given, when he says it's given, I want you to think of a gift. 
God's words to us are a gift. And that Bible in front of you tonight is among the greatest, most important gift that you ever have been or ever will be given. Not to mention the most powerful. The Word of God. He says it's given, and notice it's given how? By inspiration of God. Now, that word inspiration there, it means breathed, but by inspiration of God means God breathed. God breathed. You cannot speak without releasing breath from your lungs. The words that I'm speaking to you right now, that you're listening uh, to you know, come out of my being, they're being pushed out of me by a muscle at the bottom of my lungs called a diaphragm. It's pushing air out of my lungs, across my vocal cords, my, my lips, my tongue, all that's involved in forming these words. But again, every word that's coming out of me is being breathed out of me. So the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. He's saying that all Scripture is a gift that has been given to us by God, but it was given to us by God in this manner, through, through this means. It was God-breathed. God breathed it to us. So the idea is that every word God has spoken to you and me is born upon and saturated with the eternal life force of God. Think about it for a moment. When He formed Adam and Eve from the dust... I'm sorry, well, Adam and Eve, but at this point it was just one being, Adam. When He formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and then He breathed into Adam the breath of life, and when He breathed into Adam the breath of life, this is when Adam came alive. So if you get that image, if you get that picture in your mind, now I want you to apply that to this idea, this truth, that all Scripture is God-breathed. Meaning every time God speaks, He releases the same life force that He breathed into Adam's nostrils. He releases that life force when He speaks His words, and every word that comes out of His mouth is carried upon and saturated with that eternal life force. That's why the Word of God is both living and powerful. It's because God breathed it out of Himself, and His life is riding upon those words. Now, he also goes on to say that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is what? And is profitable. The concept of profit or something that is profitable is speaking of something that produces increase. Something that causes gain. Something that leads to beneficial results. If we've got any business owners in the room or listening tonight, watching tonight, then you understand the concept of profit. Profit is, is what you're in business for. You're not in business to lose money or break even. You're in, you're in business, right, to increase 
to, to experience gain and beneficial results from all of your hard work. Profit, profitable. So he's saying all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable, okay? Oh, I like to say it this way. Every word God's ever spoken, He, he, he said it, He spoke it with your best interest in mind. For your benefit, for your gain, to bring increase into your life. Now he gives us a list of things that it's profitable for. It's profitable for doctrine, profitable for reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Let me let's start with doctrine. And when we talk about doctrine, again, it's it, it, it's it's a big word that, that can mean a lot of things. I like to make it simple. And the idea behind doctrine is. It's, it's a system of teaching. So for instance, um, uh, the, uh, the Bible contains the, the doctrine of salvation. And that's just basically what the Bible teaches us about salvation. Um, there are many different doctrines within the Word of God. Um, things pertaining to relationships. Um, things pertaining to righteousness things uh, pertaining uh, to um, eternity. Are you, I mean, again, all of these things are doctrines. And so when it says it's profitable for doctrine, he's talking about you and me. Remember we said that, that we have to endure sound doctrine. He's talking about you and me having not just a foundation of good doctrine, good teaching in place in our lives, but that, that doctrine being something that we have literally put roots down into, that we've, we've become anchored in it. Amen. And so, you can't have doctrine without the Word of God. And a lot of the false doctrines that have deceived people and confused people um, are, of course, things that are not based upon, rooted in, grounded in, established in the Word of God. But because people are not willing to endure sound doctrine, they are easily deceived and tricked by wrong teaching, wrong doctrine, also known as deception, believing something to be true that's not true. And because of that, the Bible says that it makes it very easy, easy for the enemy to steal from you. The concept there is spoils. And if you understand the spoils of war, that, 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 that was when you know, they would come in after someone was defeated and, and take you know, uh, the, the wealth, if you will, of that, of that conquered land. And yet the Bible says for you and me to beware lest any man spoil us by false doctrines. In other words, where we are taught things that are not true, that do not line up with the Word of God, but because we don't know, we accept those things to be true, and it, and it gives the enemy an opportunity to steal from us, literally, but also steal from us from the, from the perspective of that belief prevents us from laying hold of what's really ours, what's rightfully ours. Okay, it's getting quiet up in here. That's all right. Amen. This is what I meant by teaching and preaching, okay? All right. So it's profitable for doctrine... Now, this, this next one, for reproof, for correction. These are 
These are two separate words, but the idea is that they go, uh, again, uh, knit together. They, they work hand in hand. So the idea of reproof is, is if something is reproved, it's shown where it's in error. So the idea is that the Bible, living and powerful, inspired by God, profitable for you and me, because what the Word of God does is it shows us where we're wrong. It shows us where we're thinking wrong. It shows us where we've got a wrong entry in our life registry. And now we've got the word of reconciliation, the statement of reconciliation. We've got the statement from the bank. And we're bringing our thoughts that we've got registered, our beliefs that we've got registered, alongside this. And now the Word of God is reproving this. It's showing us where we're wrong. Alright? Now, here's here's the thing, and, and sometimes people get offended at that. They kind of get defensive about that. Think about it. Think about it for a moment. There have been times in my life when I was wrong and didn't know I was. That's a dangerous place to be, my brother and my sister. Thinking you're right when you're wrong is deception. That's the devil's work. That's the devil's business. He makes his living in those shadows, in those, in those dark places. Okay. And so thank God for the Word of God. It, it will shine light. Right. Remember what he said in John 3. People run from the light because they don't want the light to expose their deeds, that their deeds are evil. We we can't run from the truth. We've got to let the light of God's truth shine into us and expose areas in our lives where we're wrong. But when I said hand in glove, it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction. So the Word of God is not just a book that shows you where you're wrong, but it also has the power to correct what is wrong in your life. In other words, it's not just you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're doing this wrong, you're doing this wrong, whatever made you think that was right, wherever you ever get the idea that you could do that and and get away with it, blah, blah. No, it's not just pointing out your faults. It's not just showing you areas in your life where you're off course. The same word that shows you where you're wrong also has within it the power to make you right, to to make you clean. Jesus said you're already clean to His disciples because of the word that I've spoken to you. He talks about the washing of the water by the word of the living God. He said, Father, set them apart, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Okay. So are are you following what I'm saying here? It's not just that the Bible says you're wrong. But he says, look, this is, this, is, this is what's wrong, and this is how to fix it. Let me try to, let me try to explain it this way, okay? Um, I talked about the first time I ever followed uh, GPS. There was another first for me that the Holy Spirit really spoke to my heart. And that was the first time I, I ever had a virus in my PC, my computer. My brother Matthew, he's like, I'm like, Matt, what's wrong with this computer? And he's like, you know, he's brilliant at all this stuff. He goes, oh, you got a virus. 
I said, no, I feel fine. What's wrong with my computer, right? He said, you know, your computer has a virus. I'm like, what? I'm, I thought he was kidding me, you know. And I'm thinking, well, just, you know, what are we going to do? Take it out in the backyard and shoot it in the head? I mean, what, what do we do with them? What do we do with this, right? He's nice. No, he said, I, he said, I'll, I'll, uh, he said I, I can fix it for you. He said, he said uh, I've got uh, some uh, virus software that uh, we, you know, we, we run it on your computer. And he, he says, it, it, see, this is so commonplace in our day and age, we just take it for granted, right? I, it just amazed, fascinated me. He said, we'll run this program on your computer, and it'll go into your computer. It'll find what's wrong with it, what's causing it to function this way. And I'm going, okay, well, what do we do then? He goes, well, we just, it'll fix it too. It'll find what's wrong, and it'll fix it. And man, it was like this verse, reproof and correction. The Word of God taken into your being will not only identify what's not right, what's, what's off inside your being, it has the power also to correct it. To correct it. Amen. Are you, are you seeing now why the devil tries so hard to keep you from reading the Word? Why he tries so hard to keep you from spending time in God's Word, from hiding God's Word in your heart, from memorizing God's Word, from meditating on God's Word, from, from, from muttering God's Word under your breath to yourself, right? It's because it's living and it's powerful and it's profitable and it's got the life of God and the energy of God and the power of God, uh, you know, all saturated uh, within it. And, it's, and it, it's profitable for proof for correction. Now, notice this next one. For instruction in righteousness. For instruction in righteousness. Now, this is going to take me just a minute, but let me, let me, let me do it because it's necessary. The Bible clearly says to us that when we were born again, we were, number one, let me ease you into it, we were given a gift of righteousness. Now, you say, well, what does that righteousness mean? I like to define it this way. Um, right standing before God in the eyes of God. See, when we were sinners, we were not in right standing with God. Our sin separated us from Him. We were not right with Him. Like people say, you know, man, i got to get right with God. Okay, well, amen, that, that's a good statement to make, but that, you got to understand how somebody gets right with God, and it's not based upon works. It's not based upon trying to do more good than you've done bad in your life. It never happened, okay? Now, I said I'm easing you into it. The Bible doesn't just say that you've been given the gift of righteousness, but that you have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I like to say it this way, okay, righteousness is to my born-again spirit what brown eyes are to my physical body. I was born with brown eyes. It, the, it, the, the seed from which I was born physically produced the result of brown eyes. Are you know what I'm saying? Okay. The seed from which I was born again spiritually produced within me the characteristic, the result, the nature of righteousness. 
Now you will find in the Scriptures where we're told to be holy. You will find in the Scriptures where we're told to be godly. But what you find also alongside that in the Scriptures is, is this no, there's not the instruction there of be righteous. You, you, you see what I'm saying? Because there's only one way to be righteous, and that's to receive it as a gift. So notice now what he's saying. He's saying that the Word of God is instructions in righteousness. So, you know, we got you know, different devices, the camera, things that obviously if you're watching on the camera, you can't see the camera, but people in the room can see it, okay? So we got the camera, and with that camera came instructions for its use. So in the same way, You've been given righteousness. Now the Word of God is instructions in righteousness. He's instructing you in how to live in the righteousness that you've already become. Okay? Now, one last thing and then we'll, we'll look at another verse. So from here we go to verse 17. That the man of God, this is mankind, Right, the woman of God for all the ladies in the room. Remember, there's two kinds of men: with a womb and without. So you got womb men, women, or you got men. Okay. So when he says man here, he's not just talking about gender. That the man of God may be complete. Okay. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Thoroughly, there's that word again, equipped for every good work. All right, let's tie some things together right quick and then we'll move on. We said that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher was gifted and chosen by God to serve the body of Christ by helping to equip every born-again believer to do the work of the ministry. Now we see this word here again, equipped. We also looked in Ephesians 2 where he said we've been created in Christ Jesus. Right? We are His workmanship. We are His poem. Right? For what? For good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now we see that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, profitable for all these things, that what you, me, we may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now let's take this and connect it with You've been reconciled to God, 2 Corinthians 5. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation and you have had committed to you the word of reconciliation. Do you see how all of this is connected? The word of God, the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, you, me, being equipped to be effective in a ministry that we've already been given. All right? Let's turn back. You may not have to turn back depending on how your Bible is laid out. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 15, so we're in 2 Timothy 3 and 16. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2, 
and 15. Sometimes I point out random things that may not you know, mean a lot to anybody else, but one of the ways that, that it helps me to remember these verses is 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2.15, You see how those numbers uh, you know, kind of dance with one another there. Okay? 2 and 15, 3 and 16. Okay? Now, I'm going to read it to you first from the New King James Version. It says this, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I first memorized this verse when I was younger, and I memorized it from the King James Version. And this is one of those cases where I really do prefer the King James Version over the New King James. The King James Version reads this way, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, fresh on the heels of instructions in righteousness, I want to build on that for just a moment. Because notice, he's not saying be diligent or study to be approved, but he's saying be diligent, study to show yourself approved. Our approval is not based upon what we do. Our approval is based upon what's been done for us that we received as a gift. Remember, that, that inward reality of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. So notice now he's saying, study, study the Scriptures. All Scriptures given by inspiration is profitable. Study so that the approval you've already been given, right, will be revealed, will, be, will, will show forth from your life a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, when it says needeth not to be ashamed, obviously, you know, it's just talking about, we could put the blanket, just embarrassed, shamed, uh, you know, because we're not measuring up, what have you. But the context is not that. The context here is doing something for God. The context here is uh, a, a, a worker. A worker, somebody who's doing something for the kingdom, Right? And notice he's saying, study to show yourself approved to God. Show yourself to be a worker who does not need to be ashamed. So what would, maybe I'm stretching this to fit, I don't believe I am. Just hear me though, hear me out and you let the Holy Spirit help you with however this needs to apply to you. The context here is a worker and so the context here, I don't believe, is just shame in general, but he's talking about the shame that would coincide with, go along with, trying to do something for God and failing. A worker, somebody who's trying to do something for God, but is not successful. So what is he saying? He's saying the key to being a successful worker is study to show yourself approved unto God. Not study for God's approval. God, you've already been given His approval. He's saying study to bring forth, to show forth the approval, the stamp, the, 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 the qualification, the, the call of God that's already on your life. Study to show that forth. You never have to be ashamed of failing, of not being successful. If you'll study and learn how to rightly divide the word of truth. Rightly divide 
the word of truth. Okay, now, let's, um, let's build on this for a minute, okay? It's almost 6.30, so we just got a few more minutes. Everybody good? Everybody good? Everybody good in the back? Some of y'all snuck in on me. Good to see you back there. Praise God. Amen. Good things. Good things. I, hey, man, folks that get off work at 5 and get here by 5.20 and, amen, eat supper like me sometime late at night, that's fine. My, I got respect for you. All right. Let's, um, let's connect a few things together here. Praise God. Write this down. The Word of God rightly divided and skillfully applied. Okay? Now, this is one of those build a wall and we'll come back and fill in. So there's some things here that I haven't given you yet, but this keeps jumping in my spirit. It's the Lord's quickening me about it. Okay, so the Word of God rightly divided and skillfully applied. The Word of God rightly divided. We get, we're getting rightly divided from 2 Timothy um, 2.15. I'll explain to you what that means in just a moment. The Word of God rightly divided and skillfully applied. Skillfully applied. Let's do this. Um, turn with me. I'm skipping a couple of pages of notes. I'll come back to them. Turn with me to Hebrews, the fifth chapter. Let me give you the skillfully applied part, and then we'll stitch them together before we're finished tonight, okay? Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. All right. Now again, whatever works for you, but we talked about 2 Timothy 2.15, 2 Timothy 3.16. If you recall, we began this section in Hebrews 4 and 12. The Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, another verse that's related is in 5 and 12. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12. Again, it's just, it helps me remember the addresses. Sometimes, I've heard it said this way, um, sometimes Bible verses are like your best friend's parent's address, right? You know exactly where they live, but you have no idea what the house number or the street number is, right? Okay, okay, all right. And so I got a lot of verses that are like my, my best friend's parents. I know right where they grew up. I know right where they live. I can almost tell you how old it was when I memorized it, but then sometimes those house numbers, right? So that's why I do that. If that's a little goofy, uh, it's just a window into how, you know, what I do to help remember these things. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 is also what I do um, while I'm giving everybody time to find the verse, right? I, I talk about these erstwhile ramblings. Okay, amen. Hebrews 5 and 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is, notice that word right there, unskilled. Unskilled in the word of, of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, uh, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. A lot of teaching here, we'll do it later. I'm wanting you to see something though. He's talking about a group of people who had been born again for a long time, but were still spiritually immature. They'd been born again for a long time, but were still as spiritual babies and needed somebody to reteach them the basics, right? But notice what made them as spiritual babies. Not unknowledgeable in the Word. He didn't say that they didn't know the Bible. He said they were unskilled in the Bible. So there's a lot of folks that know a lot about the Bible who aren't even saved. Right? There are a lot of people who know things from the Bible, but they have no idea how to convert that knowledge into understanding and wisdom. Because wisdom is not just about knowing something or understanding something. Wisdom is about doing something. So it's not how much of the Word of God we know, it's how much of the Word of God we can do. He said, don't don't just be a hearer only, but be a doer of the Word. Jesus said, the man who built his house on the sand was the one who heard the Word, but never did the Word. But the man who dug deep, built his house on the rock, was a man who heard the Word and did these sayings of mine. The difference is in the doing. But doing implies a skill. A skill. Alright? Now, I know for some of you this may be like a whole new concept altogether, but that's okay. This, is, this means a lot of things, and one of them is, especially if this is a new concept to you, this means you need to hold on because you fix to do some growing. Because the growth is not in the knowledge, it's in taking what you know and, and being able to apply it to your life, personally, individually. But now, as this applies to the ministry of reconciliation, we're talking about being able to help and lead others into applying it in their lives. Okay? All right, so let's go back to our statement. The Word of God, rightly divided and skillfully applied. So the rightly divided part, the rightly divided part means what you would, I guess, you know, if if I went around the room, what do you think it means? I think it would mean what most people think it means. It means to cut or to divide. But see, people get really, really, really nervous Um, you know, when it comes to cutting or dividing the Word of God. Let let me me kind of give you an example here, okay? Um, In the cabinet business, you get a whole kitchen installed, ready to roll, all right? The last thing you'd do is you'd cut out the sinkhole, um, you know, in the countertop to put the sink in. Okay, You didn't want to do that ahead of time because it would make a weak spot in that countertop. You want to get it all in, ready to go, and then cut it out. Well, who knows what happens if you cut it wrong? <laughs> in other words, there's a lot riding because those countertops weren't free. You start over, right? So there was a certain uh, you know, amount of intimidation associated with cutting that sinkhole. 
And so in this, or the hole for the sink, sinkhole, something happens in the earth, right? <laughs> I knew somebody would grin if I said that. All right, the hole for the sink, okay? All right, now, I think there's even a greater intimidation when it comes to rightly dividing the Word of God. And a failure to do it by so many pastors has left large portions of the body of Christ in a state of confusion, in a valley of decision, not knowing whether they're coming or going, not knowing whether God's trying to bless them or curse them, not, not, not knowing you know, whether it's based upon what we do for God or what God's done for us. Because what so many pastors do, rather than take the knife or the saw and cut it, they try to leave it intact and balance it. Right? That's why in some churches you'll hear a grace message on Sunday morning and a law-based, legalistic-based sermon on Sunday night. And, and we call that a balanced gospel. That is not a balanced gospel. That is a failure to take a saw to the Bible and divide one part, one covenant, one system from another part, another covenant, and another system. We do not live under the old covenant any longer. We've got to take a saw to that. We've got to rightly divide that. I can't tell you one week when you're in here that you're saved by grace, and then the next week when you're in here that if you disobey God, you're cursed, right? That's preaching out of both. That's trying to blend the two together and balance it. A friend of mine bought a hybrid car today, and it's a nice one. God blessed him with it. Amen? All right? And if you understand what a hybrid car does, it runs part of the time on electricity, electricity and another part of the time on gasoline. It's two systems combined together to form a hybrid. The body of Christ is suffering today because we've been preached a hybrid message. We've been preached a little bit of the old covenant mixed in with a little bit of the new covenant and it leaves us confused into thinking which one is it and we're told it's both. You just got to figure it out no matter, you know, wherever you are in life, I guess. And it's not both. It's not both. I am a minister of the new covenant. I am an expositor of the old covenant. Expositor is a fancy way of saying I'll explain it for you. Okay? But I'm not a minister of that old covenant. That's not who we are. That's not the message that we live under. That's not, that's not the operating agreement that we have with God now. Jesus came to satisfy the old, put it to rest, and establish the new. And so we live under the new covenant now. But because people are scared to divide one from the other, we wind up with a commingled message that is confusing and we don't know, we don't have any confidence. And the Bible says you've got to write the vision, make it plain, so those who run can run with it, right? We don't, we're scared to take the grace ball and run with it because what about this? What about Job? What about this? What about the law? What about Moses? What about, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? So we, it's like this, this thing that's, that's, that's anchored us and has, has prevented us from fully embracing this wonderful gift that Jesus has given to us, 
right? And we put all these yeah buts in there. Yeah but, yeah but, yeah but, right? We need to cut off the buts. Amen? And embrace what Jesus has done for us. <sighs> Praise God. Alright, so... If you were going to take us all to the Bible, I think it would be pretty clear the first division needs to be made between the Old Testament and the New, right? And Jesus did that. Jesus did that. And if you don't think the Apostle Paul did it, you ain't, you ain't read nothing the Holy Spirit told him to write. As a Pharisee, Paul could quote the Old Testament. Some people say he could quote it backwards. He knew it frontwards and backwards. You ever heard, well, you know that frontwards and backwards. That comes from Pharisees, religious leaders, who knew the, that, that old covenant, that, that testament, the Pentateuch, they knew that stuff frontwards and backwards. Okay? So that's why, you know, when you read the things that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write, he took so many of those verses from the Old Testament, drug them through the blood of Jesus, and gave us the proper perspective of them in the New Testament. What is he doing? He's not blending the two. He's not trying to marry the two or balance the two. He's, he's dividing one from the other and he brought the, the old into the new to show us how the new fulfilled the old. And this is what it meant to them and this is what it means to us. So the first major division is between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, let me... I'm about out of time, but let me try, just briefly if I could, I'm just going to close the notes for a minute, alright, so I quit looking at them because I just need to finish with the Holy Spirit here telling me what to say, alright <clears throat> there are a lot of things, like we talked about spirit, soul and body tonight, but we're going to dig into that man okay, we're going to get into that please, in depth and here's another, here's another part that we're going to get into in depth but when we read things like this in the New Testament, that the law in the Old Testament was powerless to make a man right before God. That the law was powerless to make a man righteous, a woman righteous, powerless to provide you with what God created you to have and what He desires for you to, to experience in life. The law, the law as a system in general could not produce that. As a matter of fact, we see in the New Testament that when God gave the law, it caused sin to increase exponentially. It caused an explosion of sin. And God wasn't shocked by that. He knew it would happen, and that's why He did it. Now, see, we think, we think um, that God passed all those new laws because people were getting out of hand, and He was trying to rein them in. No, no. See, the first thing you want to do when somebody tells you not to do something is do it. Romans 7 says that that law awaked within us a passion for the very thing it told us not to do. Okay? And you say, well, well, well why did God do it then? He did it to expedite a process, to bring us to a conclusion, and that is we're powerless to make ourselves righteous. So if I could generalize, the Old Testament, among many other things, it was given to us to reveal to us the power of sin. Our inability to escape sin. 
our inability to make up for the consequences of sin, which the final consequence of sin is death. So the Old Testament stood to show us the power of sin. The New Testament exists to show us the power of love. The power of love. Now Timothy Keller says it this way, before the jeweler brings the diamond out of the jewelry case, he first puts the black velvet cloth down and then sets the diamond on top of it. So it was our inability to make ourselves right and the law concluding all under sin that provides that black velvet cloth for the diamond that is the new covenant cut with the blood of Jesus Himself for you and me. Now, I heard Brother Jerry O'Dell say it this way. He says, in the Old Testament, it seems like all that they were interested in was the property and the people didn't matter. But then we come to the New Testament and now the property doesn't matter, it's the people. Right? It's not the land, it's the people. In the Old Testament, it was, it was the, the land, not the people. In the New Testament, it's the people, not the land. How about this one? In the Old Testament... If you touched a leper, you became unclean. But in the New Testament, if you touch a leper, the leper becomes clean. Are you seeing this, right? Are you seeing it? Now, God knows, God's just trying to show us something here. He's got purpose in all of this. Okay? So, when we talk about, you know, minister of the new, expositor of the old, the, the Bible says that, the, the, among other things, the record of all those people who lived in the Old Testament um, it was recorded, preserved, and delivered to you and me so that we could learn from their examples. Okay? But if they could do it under an inferior operating agreement with God, also known as a covenant, how much more under this new covenant? See, how about this? Um, the Bible talks about shadows, right? So if Heather was to stand in front of me and a light was on the other side of her shining in my direction, then she would cast a shadow towards me. Okay? And so Jesus was the light that all those men and women of God in the Old Testament were looking for His day. His light was shining in their direction and He cast shadows in their direction. Are you following me? We don't live in the shadows anymore. We live in the light. We, we don't live in a shadow of what Jesus was going to one day do. We live in the reality of what He has done. Amen. Amen. So we learn from their experiences, but we, we're not in the same predicament that they were in. We're, we're in a whole different position. Amen. But see, when we fail to break out the saw, and rightly divide it. Okay? Now, the difference is in the doing, but the reason we've got to connect rightly divide and skillfully apply together is if we never know how to cut it, we'll always be confused when we try to do it. Right? Because we're like, well, you know, because under that Old Testament, you being blessed was dependent upon your 100% obedience to the law. The Bible says if you offended it at one point, you're guilty of all of it. See, we, we have this idea about the law. Remember, the Old Covenant said, if you obey everything, 
you'll be blessed. But if you fail, you'll be cursed. See, we think 80% obedience equals 80% blessing. Wrong. 80% obedience equals 100% curse. Amen or oh me? See, people who hold on to that thinking that it's still valid on how we're supposed to live today, wrong, 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 wrong. But again, people who do that, they think they can earn God's favor, earn God's blessing, get God to owe them something because they've been good this week. Okay? See, no, no, it, it, it doesn't work that way. But notice, because it hasn't been rightly divided for you, it can't be skillfully applied in you. Yes? Sweet Jesus. Okay. Father, you good to us? We love you. We thank you this evening for life and peace. I thank you for the things that you're teaching us. I thank you, Father, for the things that you're helping us uh, incorporate into our understanding and into our thinking and our belief system. Lord, your belief system, your belief, what your word says. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what Jesus said of you. He said that you would bring to our remembrance the things that he's teaching us. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will bring to our remembrance the things that that Jesus and the word of God is, is speaking to us tonight. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.